You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, nothing says you've made it like a platinum Amex card. Nothing says you've made it like Qantas Club membership. Uh, Nothing says you've made it, in my case, like a Woolworths Everyday Rewards card. (laughs) Hey, I'm thrilled. I only just got it the other day. And and apparently how these things work is if you just turn up enough into the organisation and do your time through the aisles there and then swipe it at the checkout, that you rack up these mysterious points out there in the ether that somehow can get claimed back at some point later on for all sorts of goodies. Uh, this, these loyalty programs, they're really starting to sweep the globe. You can have loyalty programs for just about anything, loyalty programs on your loyalty for that matter. And I know there are a few guys in the congregation that know all about that. They work for loyalty programs. Look, what, what I'm trying to say is... Um, when we see church as a religious exercise, the difference between religion and Christianity is that religion can sometimes see church as simply a loyalty program. Uh, we're racking up these everyday re- or every week rewards cards for our attendance and, uh, and if we just get enough of them, then we're thinking, Lord, see how what a great uh, Christian I've been and we're racking up these points in the spiritual ether out there and then somehow when we get to heaven, we're going to cash in. Uh, that's what happens when church becomes a religious exercise you know when the difference between religion and christianity religion sees church as a process not as a power and the bible says that church is far more cosmic far more supernatural than than attendances and, and and budgets and music and whilst they're all vitally important the church is far more cosmic than that Hebrews 12 talks about it like this. It's saying you haven't come to a mountain with burning fire. It's alluding to, uh, to when Moses was down at Sinai when the church was first formed, but you've come to Mount Zion, to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's saying you don't, you don't see the church with your natural eye. You don't see it with your earthly eyes. But instead, it's a power flowing from Jesus. We talked about that in Acts. It sits at the right hand of the Father. It's a power that's flowing into this world. That, that, that every time you unite with people that are Christians around the world, you step into that power. A power that's going to take the suffering and the hardship and the challenges and the brokenness. And it's going to one day snuff it out like a three-year-old does with a birthday candle. The church is far more cosmic than an everyday rewards program. Now... Part of the problem is there's been a bit of an expectation gap between our theology and our experience. And I know that for a fact because I know some of you here tonight have been really badly hurt by the church. That's part of the reality. And so we, we, we read these things and, and we go, it's not what I've experienced. And Paul's got the audacity to say in the passage that we're going to read from tonight that the church is a whole new humanity, a whole new way of doing life. It's a power flying from God. And so you hear that and you say, Sam, maybe you've been a bit idealistic. The question is, idealistic or realistic? I know about idealism. You'd find this hard to believe, but this towering 172 centimetres that stands before you now was not only the school champion, but the regional champion and participated in the state athletics carnival for, wait for it, high jump. (laughs) Idealistic or realistic? What what I love about high jump, you see all the blokes at school, they're just jumping on the map, flopping back and that sort of stuff. The thing that always got me about high jump was that there was a bar. And that thing just got raised a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until young Stan in his 
incredible stature that he was. You know, I haven't grown since year nine. Um, managed to jump higher and higher and higher and higher because it was there. Look, guys, why I'm passionate about this, idealistic, realistic. Look, the, the choice you guys have got tonight is do you want to lower the bar? Do you want to look at the hurts and the pains in the church around? Do you want to see the reality, the humanity of the church? Or do you want to look at what the Bible says that the church not only can be, but it should be? Do we we just let the bar fall off and jump on the mat? Or do we aim for something higher? Paul, Paul gives us an idea of this in verse 21, the passage that we're going to read from in a second. He says, we're being built together. We're rising to become God's temple. Why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me? Verses 19 through to 22. Uh, Such richness in this passage, we could go on for a week in it. Paul's been talking about this incredible power that is the church to bring individuals who've got absolutely nothing to do with each other into a new humanity, into a new way of life, a way it can take people that are dead and make them alive again in that spiritual sense. And so whilst the early passages of Ephesians have been talking about God's power on the individual, he now starts talking about God's power in the church. Verse 19, he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Don't you think it's fascinating that uh, two different apostles, Paul can talk like this, it sounds very similar to a passage that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, and when he says that you're spiritual stones, clearly this is a picture of the church that God intended us to get. And that's what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks when we uh, approach this series, The Why Behind Church, Churchy, The Why Behind Church, is to understand what it was all about. And if we could go away from this series with, with at least the foundations of the theology of it all, that the church is the people of God. Last week we heard that it's a body of Christ. And tonight we're going to hear that it's the fellowship of God's spirit. Now, how does Paul explain that to us when we look at it tonight? In a really weird way. First of all, he says that you are a building block. You're a stone. Some of you look like you're stones right now. <laughs> Work with me here. <laughs> Thanks, Maxie. You see, he's saying... he's stacking up all these metaphors that he had in there. He's he's saying church is like citizens. The church is like family. We're not going to cover that tonight. Last week, the church is like the body that he he said in Romans. We're not going to cover that tonight. But the most intriguing one that he's got for us here is that the church is like a temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. But it's no ordinary temple. Why isn't it? Because it's not like the temple that uh, it would have been like back in the days that he was writing it. He would have been writing this letter. There would have been all sorts of different religious temples around him. And, and when you look at why Christianity was so radical, so different, why it would have stuck out on the religious landscape like a sore thumb was because suddenly this religion had no organised sacrifices. The religion had no named special people that were the priests. You're all now the priests. The priesthood of all believers. And... It had no temple anymore. No, no one looked at the temple in Jerusalem in that sense. And, you know, that was weird because every religion says, you know, if, if you're going to go and worship a God, you better go and uh, pull out your trail and put bricks upon bricks and start building. How else do you relate to Apollo and Aphrodite and Zeus and Mars? You've seen what it's like if you've travelled Europe. Paul says an amazing thing here. What, what's he saying? He's, look, is he saying you no longer need a temple? No, no not, not really. 
what, what he's saying is there's a place where you can experience God and be touched by the divine, but you don't get there by putting bricks on bricks. You get there by putting Christians on Christians. Verse 22, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You're building blocks in the temple of God. Now, what does that mean? Uh, if you've been lucky enough like me to go to the, the Roman Forum, I think they call it Palatine Hill, whatever it might be there in Rome, you, you see uh, just the echoes of what was one of the most marvellous cities that this earth has ever seen. And you go around, there are the most fantastic arches and remnants of buildings. But the thing that stuck out to me the most when I was there were the, these incredible stones that were just lying there, upended on its side, some still with its engravings, uh, in the middle of a tuft of grass. And I don't know about you, but for me, whenever we look at something like that, we go, that's not meant to be there. We look around and see these incredible buildings and say, that's not, that's not how it was supposed to be. You see, stones are meant to be built into a greater whole. By themselves, they don't have any meaning. By themselves, they don't have any purpose. By themselves, sitting in the grass, they're totally out of place. Now, this has incredible implications for you and I tonight with what Paul is saying to us. Because he's saying as spiritual stones, you're meant to be built into a greater whole. Bible tells us we're created to be in this very thing. By ourselves, we're rickety. By ourselves, we're unstable. By ourselves, we're sitting out in the grass. By ourselves, we're out of place. And the implications of that are huge. You know, because if you're meant to be a living stone, what it means is you no, you no longer live for just your own self-fulfillment. There's now people that you come alongside of that there's accountability to. We'll talk about that in a sec. But, but there's also a, a, a context for accountability. It's sort of like bumper bowling. Just make sure you've got the, the bumpers on so when you go on your emotional ups and downs, you don't end up in the gutter. Look, if, you, if, if you're willing to accept, and we could have a whole other sermon on this, that it'd be silly just to be by yourself for the rest of your life. If you're willing to accept just now that God created you for community, then you'd realise that you're meant to be built in. Now, if you can accept that, then the question is, how do you fit into God's building? Well, spiritual stones are said better to be built into the greater whole. And so let's unpack this a bit more. Think of, think of a wall. Think of stones in a wall. As you're looking at this particular wall, stones always have three dimensions to them. At least that's what I learnt in year three when I did geometry. There is a depth component. There is a height component. There is a width component to a stone. The depth component of the stone that we see from this passage here is how the stone relates to its foundation. It's how the stone relates to its foundation. You know, uh, Paul clearly talks about being built on a foundation here. Uh, where is it? Verse 21, he says, you are, In him the whole building has been joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And before that, he goes on to say that you've been built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, this, uh, the, the foundation is how the stone relates to, to the, the very thing that it's being built on. And so here we see that it, that foundation is not only Jesus is the cornerstone, but we see also the teaching of the apostles. Paul is, is, is so audacious to say that if, if, if you walk into a church situation and you don't have the word of God, that the, the teaching of the apostles and, and the prophets, the one who are in the very presence of God himself, Jesus, if, if, if that is not your foundation, then you're not in the church. How else can we have this incredible uh, unity, not uniformity, unity about people who've got all sorts of different ways of doing life together? It's because we place ourselves under the authority of these scriptures. 
You see, whenever you want to throw that out the window and say you start treating it like, a, like those little penguin pocketbooks, guides the life, and so you just look through and find a verse that relates to something else here, and that's no different, different from that. But when, when you submit to the word of God as your authority, suddenly, a bit, suddenly you've got a foundation in which each and every one of us has a common foundation that won't shift or won't move that we stand upon. You've got to have a foundation, something that can't move. The other one is the height relates to... The height relates to the overall purpose of the building. I was watching uh, Grand Designs last night, as you do when you start heading towards 30. You're no longer going out getting crazy on the town. You start watching the ABC. That's all ahead of you, you youngins. And I was watching Grand Designs and there was this uh, incredible show about the most magnificent building that was in, in Bath in the UK. And the, the, these people, this husband and wife team had uh, dreamed up this in, incredible design. And what got me was that, is that this, this design was dictating the building of the house all the way over in Germany into about something like 150 different segments that would get shipped across to the UK and then slotted in accordingly. And, and so they would, they would come all the, all, all the way across. You see, each and every bit of material down to the stonework, to the plasterboard, to the wooden railing on the staircase was brought across, was designed in relation to the overall purpose of the building. Uh, I mean, it's not like building a factory. You've got all sorts of different materials. You've got all sorts of different designs to have. But it was, it was all, all related to the, the overall purpose of the building. And so these wonderful bits of bath stone that were coming in were all, all there designed as to how they want their building to look. Look, what, what am I trying to get at here? It's what we've been exploring. You see, how, how, how do you relate as a living stone to the overall purpose of the building? Are you coming in with the right purpose? That's why I've been studying this for the past three weeks. You see, you come in with the wrong purpose. You come in with the wrong design from over in Germany. You come in, the whole thing's not going to fit together. You get what I'm saying? The heart relates to overall purpose of the building. Are you consciously seeking to be clear as to why we're doing church? And then you look at the width. You see, the width is such an important one for us. See, the width of the stones is how they relate to the stones that are next to them in their direct proximity. When I was in uh, Cusco, uh, up in the uh, Andean Mountains, this uh, wonderful uh, old city at 3,000 metres above sea level, uh, had this incredible Spanish influence, but there was a temple there, the Temple of the Sun, that didn't quite look right. It had, had two types of stonework. One was, was pretty shabby, and then the bottom stonework, I'd never seen anything like it before because unlike our bricks and mortar, which are all nicely rolled out, every stone was different. Every stone had a different shape to them, and I'm thinking these guys could have at least just got a right angle cranking or something. I mean... But they're an ancient people. <laughs> hey, but, 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 but then I looked closer. And as I walked up to this, I realised there was something dramatically different about this building. There was no mortar holding the stones together. They were so perfectly aligned to the stone on their left, to the stone on their right, to the stone above, to the stone below, that there was no need for bricks and mortar. They were so closely joined that there's absolutely no way that they would budge. What it says to us as spiritual stones is that God's design is that you're to move in such close proximity with, with people in the church that there's no need for some form of external bricks and mortar. Now, the practical application for us here in this church is, is we're growing as a church and we are growing and those that have been you know, part of our community when we're a little bit smaller, you know, we're going to experience a tension in which we don't know every other stone in the building. 
Can I encourage you tonight? What God is saying to us through his scriptures is his design is that you, you become accountable. You become so close to, you become so intertwined, so wonderfully aligned with people that are on either side of you, with people that, that are above you, that you're supporting and, 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 and that you're upholding. And isn't that a biblical principle? Because the biggest stones, the one on the bottom, are actually the most mature stones. The ones that are serving and, and holding and upholding the, the smaller ones at the top. I guess the key is, have you got relationships in this church that are so closely aligned there's no need for the bricks and mortar of everything else that's happening in this place? Prayer, accountability, people that know you so well, they're able to put the bumpers up from time to time when you go spewing off towards the gutter. That's what it's about. The the width relates to the stones next to them. Look, See the imagery that Paul's using here? God is a master builder. Jesus is a cornerstone. You are the materials. And so really, what he's saying, it's, it's the Tetris principle. You see, each of us have different shapes and different characteristics. And your job tonight, your job over the next couple of weeks, over your whole journey here at Northside is to work out which way you've got to rotate and move and, and fit to ensure that you, you move in flush to everyone else that's in this place. Tetris principle. Paul would have loved it. Why? Why? Look, here it is. In religion, in religion you go to the temple. You go in, you go to a set location, you, 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 it's a loyalty program, you do, you do your thing, you go in, you burn some incense, you take an animal, you sacrifice the thing, you get a few brownie points with God, you rack up the Sabbath points, uh, you make sacrifices. But Christianity by def- definition, it's totally different from that. You don't, you don't go to the building, you are the building. You are the building blocks of the temple, and by definition, that's community. And so Paul's saying, how you experience God, not brick on brick. That's not how you do it. It means the degree, to the degree that you're depth with other people in your relationship, the degree that you're fitted in, you're built into this community that's called Northside Community Church, or whatever church you're from. The degree to which you build into God and to each other, you are being inhabited by God, and that's what we're about to move to. You see what this is saying? See what they're saying? Look, it's saying if you're the, if, 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 if you're the, if you're the average Christian that thinks, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a Christian and I, I, I want to just have a personal relationship with God and I, I, I just turn up and I don't have that commitment to filling in. Can you really say that that stacks up against the image that he's using here? Can you really say that turning up to church just on a Sunday really fits in with the image that Paul's trying to get across to us tonight? Can you really say that turning up to church every Sunday fits into that image? It's something far deeper, something far more wonderful, marvellous. You're, you're a temple. It is a glorious building that's being built and can't be seen by human eyes. You need to be built in depth, height, width, how you're relating to the Word of God. Have you got a clear purpose for the church and why you're in it? How you're relating to the other people around you. You're so joined you don't even need bricks and mortar. Most of all, do you see yourself as a building block? I mean, are you still sitting in the grass? You've got to be built in, accountable. And that's not going to happen here on a big meeting on a Sunday. It's very important to worship like this, but it's only going to happen in informal small groups. It's only going to happen in formal small groups. It's only going to happen in close proximity to one another. So moving along, it also tells us in this weird way that we're the dwelling place of God. And here, uh, wonderfully, Paul's told us how we relate to God and how we relate to, to each other. But the fact that we're a holy temple means that we have access to God. And you think, well, that's, yeah, I knew that. Look at the metaphors that he uses. Look at how they ascend in their levels of intimacy. First, he talks about that the church is like citizens. Citizens sort of, they technically have got access to the king, right? 
And he talks about family, and certainly when you're a kid, you've definitely got access to the father. And there's definitely deeper intimacy in your relationships. I mean, like if you have a stoush with your brother or sister, you've still got to sit next to them at the dinner table. <laughs> still got to live side by side with each other. But, but finally, look, look, in the last one, he, he goes even higher than that. He says that God actually indwells in us. You can't get much closer than that. Like a kid to a parent, that's a close relationship. But the father can't get himself indwelling into, into the kid. You see, when, when you declare that Jesus is going to be Lord of your life in faith, when you believe in him, what the Bible's saying is God lives in you. He indwells in you. And, and whether you realise it or not, we desperately want to live with God. We always want to be in on, on the inside. It's, it's why probably, you, surely you did this as a kid, built cubby houses. You see, we, we always want to build, build cubby houses. And the best, best part of a cubby house is you built this thing in, in mum or dad's lounge room and it's all full of their double sheets with lovely floral patterns all over it. And, and, and you're in this thing and, and the father comes down or your uh, mum comes down and he says, you say to them, you're not allowed in. As much as we giggle about that, The Bible says humanity has done that in a much more a cosmic scale. There was a time when we were living in the Father's lounge room. And there was a time in which we said, because we want to do our own thing. As the Father peered inside, we said, you're not allowed in. I want to be in control of my own cubby house. And as a result of that, our desire to be our own masters, God says, cool, you can have it your way. And so we find that, that, that we move out of uh, that story that was the, the Garden of Eden, out of that life that was with God, the life that was living with him in his lounge room, dwelling with him, breathing with him, talking with him. And so what we saw is that the, as, as we did that, God's, God's presence in our life became terrifying because suddenly we realised that we weren't in control of the cubby house anymore. When it, whenever he got close enough to us, we realised that we weren't, we weren't the ultimate boss of the whole place. And so God chooses to hide himself in that way, as one commentator says. God, look, if God wanted to write the Ten Commandments on the sky, do it tomorrow. It'd be a way for God to let the, know, the world know that he's absolutely right outside the door. But he doesn't. He, he allows us, in fact, to hide from him. You see, that's part of the biblical story, that we once had that relationship with him. And the closer we get to him, it gets scarier and scarier. Why? It's because we see his, his hugeness and our smallness. We see his perfection and our imperfections. We see who we really are and who he really is as the boss and us as not the boss. And that's what happened. Remember the guy Isaiah goes in and he, he, he gets this encounter with God and he sees all the, all the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah has a holy, holy, holy moly moment in that whole process because a guy who made his living out of preaching the word and doing God's word and all that sort of stuff, he gets in front of the one true God and what does he say? Oh, woe to me, I've got unclean lips. He saw who God was and he saw who he was. And so that, that's, that's the age old problem. We want to live with God. We're built to live with God, but the closer we get, the scarier it gets. Why, look, why, why is that? That's the age old. The age old problem is can people dwell with God? That's what happened with Moses down at Mount Sinai. All the stuff's happening on with uh, the nation of Israel. Moses is up there having a conversation with God on behalf of the people. And, and, and he goes up there and God says, see the promised land? And he shows it to, to Moses and he says, you're going to go in there, but I'm not going with you. 
And what does Moses say? He says, no way, I'm not going there if your presence is not with us. I'm not going to do it. How else are they going to know that you're with us? How else are they going to know that we're different, God? And God, and God relents and he says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. And then what's the next thing that Moses says? Moses says, show me your glory. Show me what you're really like. Show me what you're really like, Dad. Show, uh, let, let me just get a glimpse of what it's like to live with you. That's what I want. That's what I've been yearning for. I've been stuck in the cubby house, but I, I want to I be in the lounge room. God, can I do that? That's what I want. And God says, sorry, Mo, I can't. It's going to kill you. You know, I'm, 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 I'm just too big and you're too, you're too small. The, the tro- my gravity is going to rip you limb from limb if I do that. I'm, I can only let you see my, my outskirts. You can hang out in the suburbs, but you're not going to be able to see the downtown. You know, it, look, we sang about it tonight. The Bible talks about God being a consuming fire. God, look, it was just a practical principle. God saying, I'm, I'm a consuming fire <laughs> and you're like tissue paper. You want to you get close to me? That was the problem. So what does God do? He, he wants to recreate the garden. And so he goes back and, he, and he, he creates this thing called the tabernacle. And Moses goes down there and, and he has this tent type thing in which he goes and worships the Lord. And the whole nation could see that Moses was talking to God and he was there. And eventually they began to, to live with God. But they could only ever live alongside him because even to go into the very holy of holies, the very center of this funny tent where God dwelt among them, his Shekinah glory, his glory presence lived among them. He dwelt among their people. They could only ever visit. And then if, if they did, then of course they had, to, they had to go in and they had to take an animal and they had to sacrifice it. Why'd they, look, why'd they do that? It, it's back in the garden when, when Adam and Eve wanted to build the cubby house. And God said, fine, that's cool. You've got to go your own way. And at, at the front door, he, it says that he, he put a flaming sword and there was no way for them to get back in. We always want to get back in. And there was no way to do that. And so constantly, if they just wanted to visit, every time someone had to bring an animal and put it under the sword until, until thousands of years later, Christ comes in. John chapter 1 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling. You know what that word is? Made his tabernacle. Made his tabernacle amongst us. Tabernacled. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father and full of truth. You know, New Testament saying, look, Jesus is the temple and you are the temple. And I'm thinking, how'd that happen? Where'd, where'd, that, where'd that come from? Look, when Jesus went to the cross, he came up against that flaming sword and it crushed him, but it crushed the sword and it opened the gates again for all eternity. When he went to the cross so that when you believe in him, when you built into him, verse 21, that very presence that Mo wasn't allowed to have, the very presence that the people of Israel couldn't dwell with, the very presence that they could only visit, the very presence that Adam had with the Father in the very beginning, that very present belongs to you. When you believe in Jesus, when, when you become a living stone, God's very presence comes into your life, his life. I mean, how else does a stone become living? <laughs> you can begin to know him, his touch, his power. Let's just pause for a second. Are you getting this? Maybe. I, I, I still don't. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't think about it enough. That God's presence dwells in me. If you're, look, if you're a Christian treating church like a religious exercise, is something that you have to do on a Sunday night, Sunday morning, then for that moment, you haven't got who you really are. You haven't got that through Jesus, because of Jesus, you don't need to go to the temple to access God. You are the temple. You're not only a building block, but the very dwelling place of God. You see, the, the church is not an everyday rewards program. It, 
Church attendance isn't a loyalty program. Instead, by coming to church, you're playing your part as a spiritual building block in achieving the ultimate purpose of the church. What, look, what is that? We do a whole heap of things around here. You know, I believe one of the ultimate purposes of the church is to unite people with the power and the presence of God. How else can we do that if we're not building blocks and we're not the very dwelling place of God himself? Religious exercise? Look, why, why this metaphor Paul uses is so radical is that he's saying to us tonight that you, you can experience an intimacy with God. It's greater than Moses had. It's, it, it, it's greater than Abraham could have had. It, it's greater than David had with God. You see, because the, the church is a power, not a process. It's far more cosmic than the social stereotypes that get heaped on. You look, it's the present presence and power of God. And you can experience that now. How? Why? You are the dwelling place of God, of, of, of his Holy Spirit. So I've got to ask you, what, what do you see yourself stepping into each week? Is it an auditorium? Or, or is, it a, is, is it a spiritual house of which you're a part of? Look, just quickly application here. Let's think about our church. What, what is going to be the driving force behind it from your perspective? Is it going to be because there are lots of people the same age around you? Because it's a happening place? Is it because we've got the, the communication and the community thing happening really well? Or is it going to be because you recognise that we're being built up each and every week like a living stone and experiencing the very presence of God himself? And so how, uh, second point is, how do you turn from this process to power? You know, I think it's fantastic that Jesus, when he went to the cross... With his arms opened wide in that ultimate posture of vulnerability that we've seen painted a million times over, didn't hang up there and say, well, this is just a religious exercise. I guess I've got another day to get through this, another couple of days to do this. When we see the heart of God in Jesus at the cross, we, we begin to finally catch a glimpse of God's attitude towards the church. And when we do that, we begin to transform, begins to transform our attitude towards the church. Even the Son of God had a cause, had a reason far greater than himself that he submitted to for the greater purposes of God. Is that, is that true of what we're doing each and every week in this place? Your stones, spiritual stones being built up to unite people with the very power and presence of God. If, look, if there is a gap between a theology and experience in the church, you know what God showed me this week? I am You are, we are responsible for bridging that difference. You're living spiritual stones. So is your attendance to church, is it it from an attitude of of, of loyalty programs or living stones? I'll, I'll leave that with you this week. Let's pray. Father, there are some concepts that we've just heard from your word tonight that defy explanation, that, Father, I can't bring justice to. And we're going to need your spirit to bring a greater revelation to our hearts of of what your plan for this place is. But most of all, Father God, for our, our purpose in that as individuals and then ultimately as a community. Father, will you help us to fully comprehend what it means to be indwelt by you? The fact that as we pray now, your, your spirit ebbs and flows amongst everyone that is in this place. 
Not only that, as we worship and unite with Christians right across this world tonight, as this funny earth turns and, and people of different cities wake up to another Sunday, Father God, may we come to realise each and every time that we turn up to this place that we're not coming here as a process but to partake in a power that is sweeping this world by storm. Lord, we're going to need your help through the power of your Holy Spirit to fully comprehend what that might mean. But Father, in the midst of that, as you begin to transform us into that, Father, we want to be a community that like Moses said to you when he was up on Sinai, we're saying we don't want to go out into this city. We don't want to go out into our workplaces. We don't want to go out into our families unless you are with us, God, because how else are they going to know that we're any different? So Father, we pray, we pray that the world might see your clear and definite power and presence in this community, not only tonight, but this week and for the years to come. Lord, will you help us come to realise that better and better in that supernatural way, to live it out, to breathe it out in close community with one another, this wonderful, this cosmic, this supernatural thing that we call your church. Thank you that we might be a part of it. Thank you that you bring each and every one of us into, into each other's lives like this and ultimately your life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.